I received a call Friday afternoon from Steve saying that he thought he probably would not be able to be here today. Uh, but fortunately, uh, the sermon series that we're doing, we have much discussed really in our staff meetings several times. We've uh, talked uh, about what does it mean to be a church that sees itself as a movement for reconciliation. Uh, that's what this sermon series is about. We, we've talked about it as a staff. What does it mean to work in such a church and to be uh, a staff that has that as its purpose? So uh, we, we're really tracking together and uh, decided not to change the text for uh, Steve's sermon, but it's my message, not his. Um, so uh, he'll, maybe he'll give his next week. I don't know, but... Um, two weeks ago, before the storm, um, and we'll probably mark history now by before or after the storm, but um, two weeks ago, Steve's sermon uh, was about how we uh, have been created in an original um, unified whole, that the story of creation that we see in Scripture tells us that God intended all things to be connected as one all reflecting God's goodness and glory, that we are made in the image of God, and that when things start to split apart and break apart, that is sin. That the illusion that we are separate, that we are not interdependent, that we are not connected to everything else, is just that. It's a deceit and it's the basis of, of sin. It's, it's an I-it relationship where we put ourselves in charge. It's us versus them. It, it's, uh, it reminds me of that Bedouin uh, saying, uh, it, when, when threatened, it's me against my brother. Or it's me and my brother against my cousins. Or it's me and my brothers and my cousins against everybody else. But in some way, shape, or form, we become tribal that's really what college football is all about, isn't it? It's about we form our tribes. My tribe's 3-0, by the way. But anyway, um, we, we have this illusion of separateness. We even think God is separate. And if God is other, then somehow we must have to manage that relationship. We have to appease or please God. We have to pay off God or hide from God, all an illusion. And so the text this morning is going to suggest to us, I believe, some amazing good news that our tribalism and that our illusions of separateness that are so, so damaging can be overcome by proximity, by God's proximity. This is who God is and what God does. God comes among us. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. Paul, Paul was the ultimate tribal guy. I mean, he was, you know, he was educated tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he was an insider. He kept all the rules. His religion was a, was a religion of us versus them. We good people, we the Jews that kept the rules versus anybody else. And 
So his, in the name of loving God, he had become hate. He'd become a murderer. That which makes us holy can also make us evil. If the ego uses any notion of religion to control God, it will be the source of idolatry. God serving us instead of us serving God. And that's why for Paul, for the rest of his life, once he encountered Christ on that Damascus road, his world was turned upside down and he became forever the critic of immature, self-serving religion and the pioneer of a more mature and truly life-changing faith. And so he was able to write these words to the church in Corinth. And I'm reading from the message translation, so uh, listen now for God's word. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people have ever had on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. What we, what we see is that anyone that is united with this Messiah gets a fresh start, a new life. The old life is gone and the new life blossoms. Look at it. All of this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and God and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God puts the world square with God's self through Christ, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness. And God has given us the task of telling everyone what God is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between us. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. God is already a friend with you. How you say? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So sooner or later... Life is going to lead you into the belly of the whale, into a place where you can't fix or control or explain or even understand what has happened. Perhaps that has occurred even this past week. When that happens to me, usually I'm prone to create victims of others to play the blame game or to become the victim myself. None of those are very productive solutions. If you're like me, when my ego is in charge, I find that I will always be able to locate a disposable person or group on which to project 
my problems. People who haven't come out uh, at least to a minimal awareness of their own darkness will always find someone else to blame or hate or fear. Hatred holds a group together in a way more quickly and easily even than love can. It's like the bumper sticker says, I root for, th- for, th- for Team X and everybody who's playing Team Y. We're tribal. When I was in uh, middle school at Arlington Junior High, you know, my circle of friends, we would have biting sarcasm with each other. That's what middle school boys do, hiding our angst. And we would all kind of, you know, take turns feeding off each other. And, but if anyone showed the slightest bit of vulnerability or weakness, boy, we would be like a pack of hyena, hyenas on them. And in eighth grade, the, the vulnerable one turned out to be a boy named Steve. And we all just started, in every class, at every opportunity, kind of digging at Steve and embarrassing Steve and picking on Steve. Steve! Steve! And it just wore him down and broke him. Someone has to be attacked lest I have to face my own insecurity, my own weakness, my own vulnerability. I have to put it out there on someone else. Leviticus 16 describes an ingenious ritualization of this tendency. It's called scapegoating. On the Day of Atonement, a priest would lay his hands on an escaping goat and place all the problems of the Jewish people and all the mistakes and sins of the previous year on this animal and then beat this animal out into the wilderness where it would die. The people would go home rejoicing Their problems had been handled for a while. Just as, I guess, Christians did after burning a supposed heretic at the stake. Or maybe what white folk did after lynching a black person that they suspected of committing a crime back in the Jim Crow era. Whenever a sinner is is excluded we feel relieved and and safe. We've identified the problem. It sort of works for a while, but we know it's an illusion. Scapegoating doesn't ever really eliminate evil at all. For centuries, the common Christian reading of the Bible is that Jesus died for our sins, either to pay a debt to the devil which was common in the first millennium, or to pay a debt to God the Father on our behalf, more common in the second millennium. Theologians later developed a substitutionary theory of atonement, this idea that before God could love us, God needed and demanded Jesus to be a blood sacrifice, to atone for our sin. As a result, our theology and our religious life became more transactional than transformational. I think it's important to be very clear 
Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. Paul says God in Christ was reconciling the world, reconciling us. That's God's initiative. That's what God is doing and always has been doing. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. God's abundance and compassion make any system of of a scarcity economy of merit or atonement unnecessary. This is an economy of bountiful grace. This grounds Christianity in freedom and love from the very beginning. Nothing changed at the cross, but everything was revealed. An eternal outpouring of love was revealed. Jesus switched the engines of history, no longer needing us to spill blood to get to God or to appease God, but rather God refusing to spill blood in order to show us that we are already reconciled. Does that make sense? When religion remains at an immature level, it tends to create violent people. People who see themselves on the side of good create an an us-them kind of worthiness system. We're the pure, we're the saved. We project our evil somewhere else and attack it over there. All this with God on our side. Violence becomes necessary, even redemptive. But we know there's no such thing as redemptive violence. Violence has never saved anyone. It only destroys. Jesus replaced the myth of redemptive violence with the truth of redemptive suffering. He showed us on the cross how to hold pain and let it transform us rather than pass it on to others. Jesus is a victim in a new way because he receives our hatred and doesn't return it. He doesn't play the victim to gain power over. We we find no self-pity in Jesus. He never asks his followers to avenge his murder. He doesn't use his suffering and his death as a way to manipulate, but as power for transformation. The cross clearly says that evil exists and it is to be opposed. But first, we must hold the ambiguity, the tension, and the pain of it. We're not splitting and dehumanizing our enemies. We're holding all things and all people together. On the cross, we accept our own complicity and cooperation with evil instead of imagining ourselves on a different moral level. 
Jesus, I mean, Paul taught all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the mystery of the cross teaches us how to stand against hate without becoming hateful, how to oppose evil without becoming evil. Is that really possible? Can you feel that tension in yourself, that that attraction to the goodness of God, but also the recognition of your own complicity in splitting and separation? If you look at yourselves as I look at myself, I sometimes feel caught. I'm hanging as if on a cross, hanging between and without resolution, caught in a paradox, but held in hope. The good news is that God's work of reconciliation and healing is at the core of who God is. God is reconciling the world, Paul says. He always was and still continues. Not because we have asked for it or paid for it. That's just who God is. And like Jesus said, we must invest also in making the two become one. Following Jesus is actually a vocation in sharing the fate of God for the life of the world. Jesus invited us to follow in bearing the mystery of death and resurrection. It's not a requirement in order to go to heaven. It's an invitation to enter into the reconciliation that has already been accomplished and given. Those who agree to carry and to love what God loves, which is both the good and the bad of human history, and to bear the burdens for its reconciliation within ourselves, these are the followers of Jesus, the leaven, the salt, the remnant, the mustard seed that God can use to transform the world. We are the ambassadors of reconciliation. The cross is the image of what it means to be usable for God as such an ambassador. Those who follow Christ belong to the critical mass that keeps the world from its path toward destruction and greed. God calls everything and everyone to be cohering in Christ. Not just some, but to get there, God needs models and images of reconciliation. People who are willing to be conformed to the body of Jesus' death and transformed into the body of his resurrection. New creatures all things new, seeping into history and ever so slowly transforming it from death to life. This is the basis of our hope, not our religion, but what God has done and is doing in Christ and for all of history. Amen.